Welcome to the Plexus Education Leadership Podcast. Today we have our special guest, Keith Sutton, Superintendent from Warren County Schools in Warrenton, North Carolina. Keith has an incredible background in public policy, district board leadership, and former board member of Wake County School District in Raleigh, North Carolina, the largest school district in state, and the 15th largest in the country, with 160,000 students, 20,000 employees, and a $2 billion budget. He is an education consultant and a leader in state and federal policy. He has an incredible network of professionals that he has carefully curated throughout his career. Keith was chosen as the superintendent of Warren County Schools as a leader who embraces and understands his community, as well as a passionate educator seeking to make an impact on the lives of his well-deserving students and families in Warren County Schools. Welcome, everyone, to the Plexus Education Leadership Podcast. I'm David Linevers, the Vice President of the Plexus Foundation. And today we have our special guest, Keith Sutton, Superintendent of Warren County Schools in North Carolina. And you're right on the border of, what, Virginia, North Carolina, right in that area? Yes, sir. Good afternoon. And yes, sir. Right on that <laughs> border. You're traveling 85 between North Carolina and Virginia. I'm the first county you would hit. Okay. North Carolina, the last county you would exit if you're going into Virginia. That's uh, such an interesting area. I mean, there's so much his- rich history in that area of, of just about every kind. I mean, from you know indigenous all the way up through Civil War and up to now. I mean, it's just pretty incredible area that I've learned so much about from the different superintendents kind of along that border in North Carolina. Just how much history there is there. Yeah, Warren County is a is a is a great place, and it's got a lot of history and culture to it. Uh, we know it as the birthplace of the environmental justice uh, movement. Uh, a lot of that was uh, started here back uh, 40 years ago uh, when the uh, PCB dumping uh, occurred uh, oh. in the state, and the state was coming through to dump some chemicals of uh, uh, ugly part of our state's history and uh, uh, dumping chemicals along the highway and some of the community residents here stood up to the state and, uh, you know, didn't allow that to happen. And so uh, that was an important time in the, in the history of this area. And uh, you also had the development of Seoul City. Uh, yeah. Was here several years ago, uh, first effort to uh, establish a, a, uh, uh, Black township, so uh, so to speak, uh, mm-hmm. one of the early efforts to establish that. So, again, a lot of rich history and culture here in Warren County. Glad to be here. That is interesting. You know, I, I love that's one of the things I love about doing the podcast with the superintendents is like the history of what happens from and, and what's going on now, too, right? From there up until now. Like I did, a, um, it, it was a few months back with Diane Green down in. Uh, Jacksonville, Duval County, and just so, mm-hmm. such interesting history there. And you know, they have some books, Bertie, which is not too far from you. Um, mm-hmm. uh, Otis Smallwood's brother wrote a book about the history of Bertie, and he's a professor at one of the university. Was it North Carolina, Northern, North Carolina, Northern? I forget what it is. A and T. And his brother wrote a book about that area. So it's just like there's so many cool people doing these kinds of things. And I know your background is really interesting because it's definitely different than some of the other superintendents I've had a chance to talk to. Can yeah. you share a little bit about that? 
Yeah, sure. So uh, <laughs> a little bit of a non-traditional pathway to the superintendent. Uh, I was a board member uh, and I've come at it from the standpoint of a policymaker, spent 12 years uh, on the Board of Education in Wake County Public Schools in mm-hmm. Raleigh, North Carolina. Wake County is the largest school system in North Carolina, 15th largest in the country. And uh, spent about 15, uh, I'm sorry, spent about 12 years on that board. Uh, uh, my last two years as chair, chaired that board for several years as well. And uh, during that time, I uh, decided I wanted to uh, become a local superintendent. And uh, that was after a uh, Unsuccessful run at state superintendent. I sought a Democratic nomination for state superintendent back in. Mm. Okay. And uh, uh, came up short in that effort. And at that time, I decided to pursue a local superintendency. And so um, enrolled in a program of AASA, the National Superintendents Academy, I mean, National Superintendents Association. They have a, a Urban Superintendents uh, Academy. Uh, it's a partnership with Howard University. And Oh yeah, off in that program, spent about a year uh, in that, just learning, learning the ropes of being a superintendent, learning about the day-to-day uh, challenges and and how to run a district. I had obviously had quite a bit of experience in leading a district uh, as a board member and working in policy and governance, uh, but a little different uh, when it comes to administration and operations. And That's so, true. That's true. So the off. policy and stuff that was easy. You're like, I got this. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if I would say it's easier. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> a lot of folks kind of, you know, taking their lumps in that in that regard as well. But this is true. That's you true. Know, hey, you, you really are glut for punishment. You you spent twelve years as a board member. Now you know. <laughs> so, uh, um, but you just it, shifted the punishment to a different role. That's yeah, all, right? Yeah, that's that's it. Just shifted those pain points a little bit. But, <laughs> I, I really enjoyed uh, being an advocate for education and an advocate for public schools um, yeah. and an advocate for children. And I felt like I could do more uh, as an administrator and, and being involved in the day-to-day. And I wanted to, to bring some of the, the skills and talents uh, and experience uh, that, that I uh, learned as a board member in the state's largest district uh, and try to take that to some other places across North Carolina and just sort of spread some of that learning, spread that experience, spread that impact. Uh, and particularly to small rural counties like Warren County. And so, yeah. uh, so here I am. I've been here now almost two years. I, I think that's great. I mean, you, when I was looking at your experience, you know, working in public safety and, you know, policy analyst and, you know, legislative affairs for juvenile justice and those areas that, you understand how to work within and the importance of public safety and the key in that area. And when you sit down and have that conversation, it's gotta be helpful for those around you. like, okay, you know what questions to ask to help the district move forward that way. That's gotta be enjoyable for the board and the people around you be like, okay, this is good. This is good. It, it, it is. I think it, uh, you know, we've had a great governance team here with myself and working with the board and yeah, you know, they've been able to pick my brain, you know, sometimes, <laughs> well, hey, you know, if you were a board member, you were board chair, you know, how would you approach this? How might you, you know, tackle this? And then working with the staff yeah. uh, you know, around areas from legislative affairs to to uh, juvenile justice. But at the same time, you know, uh, operations, uh, safety, uh, in, instructional uh, leadership, you know, what we've, you know, what, what, what we accomplished in Wake County, again, and how to scale that, if you will, to, mm. uh, you know, to a place like a Warren County, 
uh, or some rails. And so it has been a very interesting experience, um, one that uh, that I think has brought me uh, uh, a ton of credibility uh, in coming into the district. Obviously, I've never been a teacher, you know, never been a principal. Yeah. Um, and so that that's a, a, a different piece. Most superintendents, you know, pursue that more traditional that's uh, true. Path, but, but this has allowed me to to come in with a little bit more of an external uh, uh, view, uh, perhaps more of a you know view of a uh, uh, a business person, so to speak, more so as an educator. Uh, but I've been around uh, education again as a board member long enough that I understand the the, the challenges, the needs yeah. of our teachers and educators, our principals and administrators. Uh, and, and can understand both of my parents were educators. Okay, uh, nice. During their student teaching uh, over 40 years ago. Uh, and so I understand, again, the, the needs of public education, the challenges that our teachers face uh, every day, uh, the challenges and opportunities that our principals uh, face every day. None, none of these things are, are, are new or foreign to me, but I just right. come at them from a different, a different lens, a different perspective, that's all. I think that's important. That's what makes education amazing is that different perspective and the leadership style that's different, that understanding. And people go, okay, I, I see what you're, you're educating those on another way to think about it at the same time. Because you're right, those have been in industry. I mean, I worked in higher ed for 30 years. I know it inside now. And when I hear an outside person, I'm like, oh, that's a good point. Mm-hmm. And being a good leader, which, you know, is being a good listener and being able to understand, isn't it? Especially now. I mean, yeah. public education is, is changing so rapidly right now as a result of the pandemic. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I told a community group the other day, uh, uh, almost nothing is the same. You know, yeah. when you think about public education and where we sat 10 or 15 or 20 years ago, uh, quite honestly, because uh, the group that I was talking to, we were having a community meeting. And it was on uh, March 13th of this year. Okay. I asked that group, do any of you remember or know the significance of today? And, you know, at the time, nobody really thought about it. And I said, this is the exact day three years ago uh, that the governor of North Carolina uh, closed schools uh, due to the pandemic. Uh, uh, we're three years to the day uh, from the closing of schools in, in North Carolina. And, 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 Education is very different today yeah. than what it was just three years ago. Yeah. You know, let alone 10 to 15 years ago, as I said to some of the folks in that were retirees that were teachers or principals. Education <laughs> is very different. <laughs> you That's know, true. very differently uh, for when you were working in education. As a young lady that was sitting there with me who had graduated from the high school we were sitting in in 2006. So it's even different from when she was here. Oh, just in 2006, just, yeah. just that's true. Uh, uh, 17 years ago, <laughs> was it really that long ago? That can't be, yeah. I guess it was. And, and what I said was, you know, and if you don't believe that, yeah. then you are probably more a part of the problem than you are the solution. Yeah, if you don't believe that or understand that is how different public education is. Uh, uh, just and especially as we come out of the pandemic, so yeah. I, you know, I think I really like the way you said that. Like, if you don't understand it, it's more of a problem because it doesn't help 
look at the solutions or think about what we need to do next to make a difference in the, in the fact that things have changed. Like that's, I mean, if there's one constant, you always hear people it's changed, but you know, the pandemic was a kind of change that was so earth shattering for so many of us. We're like, Whoa, what is this? And it kept going and going and going. We had so many, not just challenges, but, you know, I think most of us in education would agree that there were a number of inequities uh, across our oh, yeah. system. Yes. Uh, and and we were, you know, just really sort of putting Band-Aids on some of the work, uh, kicking a can down the road mm-hmm. in some other areas of the work uh, and just kind of putting it off for procrastinating. And what the pandemic did was really brought to light and exacerbated yes. many of the challenges uh, that we saw from uh, uh, or deficiencies, deficiencies in technology, um, how we're using technology uh, in instruction to the availability and access to technology, not just in our classrooms, but even in our communities, communities yeah. like mine, uh, where we still have pockets of, of uh, uh, connectivity or lack of connectivity, yeah. you know, or consistent internet connectivity in parts of our rural areas. Uh, uh, the, the learning gaps that we see uh, across our subgroups and, and, you know, how students of color uh, learn versus uh, others, uh, teaching styles and teaching methods. Uh, so many, again, inequities uh, across the system and, and the, the, the pandemic really brought to light some of those. And, and in, in districts like mine and small rural districts, ones that are less resourced, um, yeah. re- really found it challenging. Uh, during that time, and if it, if it were not for uh, infusions of cash from the federal government, you know, through ESSER funding and that sort of thing, uh, the, the the pandemic could have and may have broken some districts. Oh, I believe it. You know, I that, that from an infrastructure standpoint, um, you know, policy procedure standpoint that were that were struggling, and so you know, we're now uh, hopefully all are starting to emerge. Uh, from that and and hopefully emerging stronger, you know, better and really learning some of the lessons from, you know, from from the pandemic. I've I've said to my folks, you know, we've got to, you know, if if we're not learning and, and, and taking lessons from, you know, going into an 18 month uh, uh, period where we're out of school, you know, then, then shame on us. Right. Think, you know, what is happening is you're seeing Many districts, organizations, schools across the country mm. are changing and, and evolving. You know, we're working with a group or we hope to work with, have an opportunity to work with a group called Transcend. Uh, okay. Who works with um, rural districts and communities to rethink or reimagine, you know, what education looks like. And that work is important for us, as a, again, as a small rural district. Yeah. Because we don't have the resources to the thought partners, the, the leadership to help us rethink, you know, what education looks like uh, in this in this post-pandemic era. So many organizations and again, schools and districts are thinking about this work and we'll look up two or three years down the road and they've made those changes and others of us that are smaller, rural, lower resourced have not made those those changes, those leaps. And, and, we'll, and we'll find ourselves sitting in a place where we're seeing most of our students and our families still being marginalized uh, right. because we're in small, rural, predominantly uh, communities of color 
uh, and that sort of thing, and, and still sort of lost or behind uh, when it comes to public education and the way that we are, you know, executing teaching and learning uh, for our students and our, our families and community. You know, I, I love that you bring that up because it has to be talked about all the time, what we're doing, what we're engaged in, how we're supporting our communities and the disparities. It's like mm-hmm. they have to be talked about so we can stop it. Yeah. And, and it can be heard that this is what we need. And I know I'm talking to Travis Reeves over in Surrey schools, and he talked about exactly what you said, which was the lack of resources for the rural districts and that challenge. And um, he talked about partnerships that Surrey Yadkin works, which probably is something you're doing in Warren County as well. I'm sure you've done that throughout your career too, built, built mm-hmm. partnerships and keeping those things moving forward. I mean, what what kind of things do you have in the works for the kids and the community to, like you said, move to that next level so they can, you know, make the changes and be like, hey, we're here. We need this. We deserve this. Yeah. I mean, just, you know, a, a number of things, you know, we're just trying to, you know, really focus on a, a strategic plan. We sort of a post-pandemic strategic plan yeah. uh, that we put in place that's focusing on uh, uh, refining core instruction and, and the way, again, that we're te- delivering. Uh, teaching and learning, uh, you know, ways that we can increase access to technology. Uh, so many of our kids, our students are reluctant, if you will. Um, mm. Really, you, you know, they they see the challenge that they had over the 18 month period when we were uh, in virtual or remote instruction uh, and, and know that, you know, hey, you know, I really didn't get good teaching and learning during that period, if it was because I didn't have the internet access at my home or because it was difficult for me to learn right, from a virtual right. standpoint or, or difficult for teachers to you know engage us in, in fun and exciting ways and trying to do that now uh, online. Uh, and so they recognize uh, uh, the inherent struggles you know, in learning in that way. And they're saying to us now, we don't ever want to go back to anything like that. I, I, I need, you know, I need a teacher face to face in front yeah. of me, hands on, and they want no parts of any sort of virtual or remote instruction. But I think it's important for our our kids and students to to have the digital skill set, right, right, learn that way. If we do need to, if we experience another, another time where we go back to remote instruction yeah as you continue yeah. through a lot of our colleges you, you're in higher you mentioned being in higher ed you know a lot of colleges and universities now are offering classes you know from a remote a virtual setting uh more drastic changes absolutely uh in our world of work you know yeah. how doing now zoom calls and <laughs> exactly sort of so you know th- this 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 way of communicating uh teaching and learning is not going away uh, and students have to have, you know, the digital skill set yeah. uh, to, to be able to function, uh, you know, in this post-pandemic era. And also our teachers. Uh, mm-hmm. Teachers, uh, absolutely. We train our teachers now, uh, I think, have to change and evolve uh, uh, so that, that that they, too, are prepared to, to deliver instruction and teaching and learning uh, in a virtual way. H- how do you engage, effectively engage uh, yeah. our students? Uh, in this uh, uh, space that we're in now, when you're not in front of a chalkboard or a whiteboard, or, you know, or what have you, mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. walk up and down the aisle and and look over the student's shoulder and see, you know, what they're doing and make a correction 
and and so you know what I have said to the biggest piece that we're working on here is really developing relationships. Yeah, uh, you know, I like connecting uh, with students because I think that that's the key uh, uh, to it all. I said to our folks, I heard my my pastor preaching a sermon one Sunday, and he said that there cannot be any correction uh, without connection. Oh, I like that. Can't be correction without connection. And that's just really focusing on the, the, the importance of relationships and that we've got to be relationships, but we've got to be connected uh, to not just students, but even our colleagues. Uh, you know, if you're going to try to correct and improve and that sort of thing, you got to have that connection first before you can make any correction. And so uh, I really uh, I double down on that with our staff and faculty uh, that it's important, how important it is to build those relationships and really connect. Uh, with our students, but with our colleagues as well. So, yeah, it's such a good place to understand. I mean, you've done so much work in so many different areas that you know the connection strength of being, if you can't even talk about what it is that needs to happen and build trust, like you said, the correction without connection, people people don't want to listen. And I'm sure, like you mentioned, the people being fearful, um, like they're just done with sitting in front of a screen. I mean, I know you and I work and we do a lot of digital meetings, but I don't like it. They sat in front of that screen for like seven hours a day. I'm just like, oh my gosh. Yeah. And and I've had the chance to, to talk to other superintendents in the rural counties. Like, like you mentioned the digital divide, which is real. It's still real. Mm-hmm. I mean, all throughout the US, California included, you know, I mean, there's many rural districts that aren't connected and families that need it. Um, in such a big state, there's lots of lots of gaps. But the, to know that you're building those relationships and connecting with parents and and to remind them on that March 13th meeting, that's that's powerful. That's really powerful. And now this stuff is new. You know, we, yeah. we you know, as we talk about the digital divide. Yeah. You know, we got a grant, uh, um, an E-rate grant the other day to to purchase uh, mm. plus Wi-Fi and 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 uh, install Wi-Fi. On all our buses. Uh, oh, that's so cool. We have, uh, you know, where students could, you know, if they want to do homework on the way home. You know, yeah. Wi-Fi uh, and use buses as mobile hotspots if we need to in parts of the community. Um, but what I mentioned to my board was that that's really nothing new. Um, right. Stuff that's been happening years ago. I remember four or five years ago, if not more, uh, going out to a, a, with a, on a school board visit. Uh, with the National School Board Association uh, to Arizona. And we went out to Arizona and visited some of the reservations yeah. uh, out there. And because they were so far out or remote that they were using buses then. Uh, and like I said, this was five, six, seven years ago. Uh, and they were using buses as mobile hotspots then to, to provide more uh, connectivity uh, to you know rural areas, in this case, desert areas, uh, in parts of uh, Arizona, so oh, very remote areas. Holy cow! Yeah. Super yeah. remote desert. Yeah. yeah. So not, none of this stuff is new. None of these challenges are new. Uh, all the That's pandemic true. did was really bring these these challenges more to light. Uh, and we're yeah. seeing, you know, federal government, state government, uh, uh, organizations, nonprofits responding to uh, these challenges and finding new ways to address uh, some of these challenges. And if anything, creating more of a sense of urgency. Uh, around these things that we know have, have existed for some time. Yeah, that's such a good point. You talked about the ESSER funds and how key they were to helping, you know, your district and other districts be successful. 
It's like, what do we do now that those are, it's changing? What, there has to be continued funding to maintain these kinds of things, right? One shots are good, but that doesn't, if you build a building with a lot of money someone gives you, then you have to maintain it. You have to keep it going, right? I mean, there's all of those things too. How are you guys balancing some of that stuff? What are some of your next steps you're looking at? Well, you know, we are, we, we, we got some additional funding from our state, for mm. example, to, uh, uh, That's good. Uses its lottery funds uh, to help with school construction. Uh, you know, different states with different things with lottery funds. Some provide scholarships to, you know, two-year and four-year universities. Our state uh, or North Carolina uh, focuses a lot of those funds on capital improvements and construction. We got gotcha. from the state to to build a new elementary school and try to consolidate uh, about three of our elementary schools. Uh, uh, into into one and build a new facility. That's uh, exciting. That uh, consolidated new elementary school. So yes, we're excited about that and uh, doing some work around you know exploring the possibility of a uh, consolidation and then some new construction and campus master planning and you know things of things of that nature. Um, um, you know we we are on the path to a district wide accreditation mm. uh, path. Our our district has allow for individual schools to go through the accreditation uh, process. Uh, but for the first time, we just went through uh, a district-wide process. And uh, hopefully uh, uh, in a couple of months, uh, uh, Cognia, the, the National Accreditation uh, Association, will uh, uh, bestow on us district-wide accreditation. That recommendation is, is, is coming. And hopefully when they meet in a couple of months, you know, they'll, they'll approve the recommendation to to uh, uh, provide us with district-wide accreditation. And so we're, we're, we've been engaged in, uh, in that work. And then I'll you know, send you an email. How did it go? You know, <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, that's a big deal. Like, you know, it, you talked about master planning and district-wide accreditation. Those are, those are huge milestones for districts. Yeah. They're not little things. Again, everything you have to do to even apply for it is incredible. Yeah, you know, but then other things, you know, like, uh, you know, really finding creative ways to address, you know, social, emotional health and, and, and learning for both our students and our employees, uh, um, you know, implementing things in our calendar, you know, such as Wellness Wednesdays uh, to provide time to, to our folks to, to focus on their own social, emotional health and wellness, but also implementing systems, you know, that help us to do that and allow teachers to, um you know, do daily check-ins with yeah. students and see, you know, how they are and, and, and where they are. We all know when you have mm -hmm. students, especially younger students, you know, and you just ask a simple question, how are you doing today? Uh, uh, some of them will tell you. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> and we'll spend the next 15 to 20 minutes <laughs> telling you how they're doing or what happened last night. Uh, and if you're not careful, you would have lost 15 to 20 minutes of instruction and, and, <laughs> and getting other students starting because you're talking to one, so helping teachers to be able to manage mm. uh, uh, that that process and be able to share with school counselors and nurses as the state's providing funding to help increase the number of nurses and counselors so that we can adequately address mm. uh, the social emotional needs uh, in our in our buildings, and and that to me is sort of the biggest challenges you know that we're seeing you know the 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 learning loss and the impact that 18 months of virtual and remote instruction 
had on our students, both from an academic standpoint and a social emotional standpoint. And so when you walk through our buildings or buildings in any district, you see uh, uh, an incredible amount of, of, of need, uh, mm. again, both academic and social emotional. And, and we're just trying to find ways to address that, uh, respond to that. Uh, and it's not always just money. I mean, even with people that takes money to hire folks and that sort of thing, but right. you know, equipping our buildings and staffing our buildings with the right, with the right positions, with the right yeah. people, uh, you know, with the right tools, uh, supports uh, and that sort of thing to really address the whole child. And that's, and that's really what it is at the end of the day that we're addressing all the needs of the whole child to ensure that they're being successful. I mean, there, that's, you mentioned being the superintendent and those kind of things you get to be involved in day to day. There it is, right? I mean, you just laid it all out and you talk about it with your board now too, all these things, don't you? Oh yeah. In a yeah. different way. <laughs> They got to sign off and approve a lot of these things, <laughs> so they got they have to understand it. You know, like I can, our community. I mean, our communities are more engaged, you know, than ever. You know, they hear about you know social emotional well being. They're they're dealing with it on their own yeah. jobs and seeing impacting our families, and you know, think about things such as school safety. Uh, um, you know, and the 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 shootings and violence that we're seeing, you know, on campus that's becoming more and more prevalent, and so. You, 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 we, we have a, uh, uh, a demanding uh, public and community mm-hmm. that wants answers, that wants accountability. Uh, and it's your board members who are, you know, on the front lines in that regard. Uh, and so as superintendent, it's my job to make sure that, you know, my board members are equipped, uh, yeah. uh, informed, that they're able to answer and respond, you know, to, to inquiries that they get. Uh, when they're in the grocery store, when they're in the gas station, you know, when they get approached by, you know, our residents, the community members, neighbors that might see them at church and say, hey, what's happening in the schools? Well, That's I, true. You know, I heard about this event or this this incident, uh, you know, or, or or something I saw on, on the news across the country. Are we prepared yeah. if that comes to, to one of our schools? Or are we prepared for that? So, uh, yeah, the, the, the board has to be informed and, and kept abreast and and that sort of thing. So. You know, we're working every hard, working every day uh, to make sure that our schools are safe and uh, we're improving teaching and learning and, and taking care of the mental health of our students and families. And and uh, and the board is a big part of that. I, I, that's just awesome to hear. I mean, it really is. And I don't say that lightly because they, you know, again, with how many conversations I have the pleasure of having with superintendents to hear again what you're focused on, understanding your community. And like, I think just think the experience I mean, I, I know as a parent, when I think about you and your role, it's like, boy, he really understands all the levels of what happens in this so that if someone doesn't understand, you can speak to him and go, listen, here's how it works. This is where we're at. And this is where we need to go. I mean, that's huge confidence builders for your community that way. Mm-hmm. You're like, I can even show you how to run for an election if you want. <laughs> 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 uh, you know, I, I, I'm fortunate, and yeah. uh, I've been I've been blessed to you know have quite a few opportunities, yeah, uh, and that sort of thing to to serve in in public office, both as an elected official uh, and now uh, as a as a as an appointed official, uh, right, as a superintendent, and you know have run successful campaigns, and and then one that was 
not as successful. They didn't give us a result that we wanted. Uh, I've worked in state government. Uh, uh, um, I've, I've worked on campaigns uh, as well as been the the uh, the candidate. <laughs> so all, all of these things help me really to understand yeah. public policy, right. uh, public public uh, involvement and engagement, uh, and how to effectively use public policy as a lever, and in this case, education policy, yeah, as a lever to to help uh, students, communities, families that don't have a voice, uh, that have been marginalized, uh, yeah. that aren't in a position to advocate. Uh, for themselves and and use the knowledge, the the networks, the relationships that I've created uh, to help try to bring resources and again use public policy to to help 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 the least of us, so to speak. I mean that's huge. There, there's one organization out here called Innovate Education, and their whole thing is um, developing parent advocates so they can advocate for themselves. Like teaching, like here's the issues, and they get parents together, and they do. They have an amazing training thing for the parents and districts all over the state to help them, like talk to you, right, and understand what you say as superintendent and the board. And you've done that stuff too. I I love hearing that. It's that is really cool stuff. You know, one of the things I was thinking too um, beforehand, I was thinking, okay, you've been in this huge district, largest in the state, and now you have a district of eighteen hundred students. Not the smallest in North Carolina, but smaller, right? What are some of the things that you've that have surprised you that you've enjoyed so much about being in your role in the smaller district? You know, um, in Wake County, where I was, we had 191 schools. We're almost at, Wake's almost at 200 schools now. Oh, that's a lot of schools. 160,000 students, 20,000 employees. A budget of about two billion dollars. Yeah. And in Wake, we would often refer to sort of changes or making any sort of change or shift. It was literally like turning the Titanic. Mm. Now I'm in the district where there are only seven schools, uh, 1,700 students, 250 employees. My budget's about 60 million or so. Uh, what I enjoy and what I like about it is. You know, if we want to implement change, if, if if I need to shift and move the system uh, in a different way, uh, it doesn't take quite as much effort, you know, to gotcha. do <laughs> I, I can almost sort of turn the district on the dime uh, uh, as opposed to, like I said, turn, trying to turn the Titanic. Uh, and so in the almost two years that I've been here, uh, we have been able to uh, implement some really significant uh, change in a fairly short amount of time. Um, mm-hmm. <clears throat> it's great to see some of the changes that we put in place when I first got here, you know, perhaps over a year ago, uh, some of the seeds that have been planted are, yeah. are starting now to to bear fruit. Uh, and those are things like the decision to go with district-wide accreditation instead of the local school accreditation. Right. Uh, Department of changes that we're seeing now. Uh, we just had a great story that ran on on Friday uh, about the improvements to our transportation department. Uh, okay. At uh, um, bus inspections and and how we've improved the, the the quality of our inspections when the state comes in and inspects our buses and how we're managing our parts inventory and all those things that that go into uh, that score. 
Uh, and we've cut that score in half, and we're now amongst among tops in the state or in our region. Oh, that's awesome. Uh, to uh, uh, that efficiency and that sort of thing. So, you know, we're starting to see some of the benefits of that change that in some places or somewhere in weight might take three, four, five years to see just because of the, the size and the magnitude, uh, you know. But when, I, when I've got a fleet of about 35 or 40 buses, you know, versus 700. It's <laughs> a bit you, different. You see that change a little bit quicker. <laughs> That's true. Uh, yeah. So, uh, and, you know, at the end of the day that you're really making an impact. Yeah. Uh, not not to say that, you know, we didn't make an impact and do good work and wait while we were there, uh, you know, because we did. Uh, of course. A little bit longer to see. Uh, yeah. In a district of that size. And, and so it's been extremely fulfilling and enjoyable. Mm. Uh, to 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 bring about some of these changes and to see them start to unfold uh, already is uh, is rewarding. You know that's really what it's all about too is education, right? The students, the parents, the district coming together to make those changes. Uh, it, it is, and and it it's it it honestly is why I made the leap mm. from board member to superintendent um people have asked me all the time and i said well if you if you if i'm honest any elected official policymaker at any level local state federal i don't i don't care right some at some point gets or they get impatient with the pace of implementation mm-hmm. you're creating laws you're creating policies and that sort of thing but then to see that change trickle down and take effect sometimes takes a while. Uh, That's uh, true. And so uh, I'm 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 the kind of guy that uh, you know I want to be involved on the on the front lines. Uh, you know, most of my career has been involved in you know programs management, program implementation, and I told people you know I'm, I'm more of a you know uh, a coach put me in the game uh, kind of guy. <laughs> Put me in. Put me I'm in. Guy, I'm the guy that wants to take the last shot, you know. The last <laughs> shot. And I like and, that. Uh, and so want to be on the field, not on the sidelines as, as a coach, uh, as a board member, as a policymaker. I want to be on the field uh, making a change. And so uh, after 12 years of sitting in that seat, I, I want to do something different. I want to be a part uh, uh, of that change and that implementation and I felt like I had been fortunate to be in the position uh, where I was. Right. Uh, learn a lot and be able to, you know, hey, let's let's figure out how we can take this some way and and package this and 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 go to some other communities and and try to help and, and bring about some of that change. And so, like I said, here we are. So here you are, and here uh, we are talking. I mean, it's been it's been really fun. I mean, I, there's so many more things I'd love to ask you about too, and. Um, you know, when I think about your your history and your background, and uh, and you know, just getting to where you are, there's there's so many cool things in that dash in our career, right? That happen that make you who you are to sit in the seat and and really affect change in such a good way. And it's it's such a pleasure to be able to talk to you about these things. It's too brief always, but you know, think about the changes you're implementing, and and really, I will be praying for you all for that district accreditation to come through. I know how key that is after helping universities go from, you know, uh, defunct accreditations to regional accreditations. They're huge undertakings. And, mm-hmm. and the amount of people that put their, you know, 
their heart into making this happen is huge. And the benefits that the community reaps as a result is just awesome. And I know that's just one thing that you're talking about. (laughs) And what a pleasure to talk to you, Keith. I really appreciate your time. I appreciate it. It's, It's been a pleasure. I've enjoyed it. It's been fun. Good, good. We'll do it again soon. That's for sure. All right. Looking forward to it. Thanks for having me and thanks for the invitation. I appreciate you. You're welcome. Thank you for joining. Thank you for joining the Plexus High School Leadership Podcast Series. If you'd like more information on this podcast or Plexus, please visit us at plexus.com forward slash solutions. Thank you.